remember I was riding through the floodplain water like, oh my gosh, there's definitely a freshwater crocodile in here. And I knew that if I fell off the horse that it would just bolt, like I wouldn't be able to get back on it. So like we were just cantering through this water being like, do not spook, do not buck me off, otherwise I'm stuck like up a tree or something. (laughs) You're listening to the Central Station Podcast where we bring you true stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one, as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. This podcast is brought to you by Pioneer Water Tanks, leading the way in water for over 30 years. Pioneer is proudly 100% owned and operated in Australia, and as well as supplying tanks all over Australia, Pioneer exports superior quality water tanks all over the world. You can trust a Pioneer water tank to secure your most precious asset, your water. Welcome back to the Central Station podcast. My name is Steph Coombs and I'm your host. In today's episode, I'm sitting down with one of the characters of the Kimberley, Mariah Morn. Now, as I was getting ready to do this introduction, I was thinking to myself, how do I describe Mariah without giving away the episode. Um, <laughs> this is what I've come up with. So I know Mariah will be listening to this for the first time with everybody else and I hope it's okay, Mariah. But, um, you know, sometimes when you try and describe horses and if people will say that a horse has no dirt in them, so no bite, no buck, you know, they're just good horses with a lot of heart, um, And so you just say they've got no dirt in them, like they're just good. That is the way, when I have to think of a way to describe Mariah, like she's got no dirt in her. Mariah is one of the best people I've ever met. She's so kind and funny. She's hilarious. I've worked alongside her for almost two years now. And I was actually trying to think, I was like, hang on, has there ever been a moment where Mariah has thrown a tantrum or, you know, Um, gossiped about someone or being really mean and I was like oh my goodness no she actually hasn't like and then I started to wonder if she's a real person or a unicorn or something but I'm really excited to bring this episode to you guys because Mariah is one of the best people that I've ever met and she's hilarious and she's had a lot of adventures in the Kimberley and and she's going to be talking about you know finding your place outside the stock camp which is something I think a lot of people listening to this will be interested in because you know, if you're listening to this state, uh, podcast, chances are you've been out in a cattle station or you want to go out on one and you've enjoyed the experience. But for a lot of us, it's not where we're going to be in the long term, but we still want to be in this industry. The question is, how do you go from the stock camp to being in this industry in, a, in another role? Well, let's find out. Hi, Mariah. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. I feel like this is a recurring theme every week and people will probably get sick of me starting off the podcast like this, but every time I welcome someone to the podcast, it their their smile just looks so forced. <laughs> I've got sweaty hands, I'm I nervous. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh God. I promise everyone comes on here willingly. Mostly. Yes, no, mostly. it wasn't by four. She brought chocolate, so. Yes, uh, Cadbury cream chocolate, everybody, so. Okay, so we listen to a lot of podcasts, um, 
some of Mariah's taste in podcasts is a little dubious. If you ever come across one called Case Files, just keep going, guys. But um, one of the favorite podcasts that we both listen to is called Shameless, which I've mentioned a few times on this uh, podcast series already. And I thought that we would follow their in-conversation format for our episode. So it can be like our own little version of a Shameless podcast. So in the very first part or the very first question they ask is, what are you currently reading, listening to, or watching right now? Watching. Um, Steph already knows this because I've told her about 50 million times that she needs to watch it, but is the Taylor Swift Miss Americana <laughs> documentary. It's probably not for everyone's taste. Um, another one which really got me by surprise, I was sick and so I needed something to do and I watched 24 hours straight of that cheer <laughs> series and I knew nothing about like cheerleading and had no interest and then by the end I was like so invested I was like you need to make a match you need to go to Daytona oh my god like yeah anyway I love that you're like I was so sick so and you know obviously your body needed to rest and (laughs) and sleep and you're like but I watched tv for 24 hours straight and also yes with Taylor Swift Mariah came into the office like every day for three or four days in a row and like the first day she was like have you watched it was after a weekend I think and you were like have you watched the Taylor Swift on Netflix and I was like nah and then you come in the next day like have you watched it yet and I was like oh no and then you come in the next day you're like have you watched it yet and I was like okay I'll go I think yeah because I think when I first saw it I was like oh this would be great like a feel-good ditzy documentary and sure there's kind of like parts that are like that but it actually had like themes under it. Like it had kind of like the theme of like having a female who loved being feminine and having, you know, country music and being quite traditional. And then that person wanting to come out with like political views and all this different stuff. And it like, yeah, it kind of challenged the idea of wanting to wear pink and be a feminist or wanting to curl your hair and have views on politics and stuff and so yeah and I like the music (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was pretty good okay what about what are you reading at the moment are you reading anything I'm not reading anything what was that that good but I do want to read yeah I do want to read a book called um Terra Nullius um I think it'll be really interesting because basically it's a book um, that is a fictional book, so it's not a history book, and it goes into the concept of um, Australia being colonised for the second time. So like it was colonised um, a few hundred years ago, looking at it being colonised now and then going into the dynamics of how... If the shoe was on the other foot. Yeah, or how we, how we deal with it and, and how... Basically, it goes through how... Um, people became disadvantaged, how people became heartbroken, how some really hard things happened through colonisation. And by putting it in like a contemporary setting, it makes you kind of think about what it would have been like um, over the last few hundred years. So I am going to read that. That is more intelligent, I guess, than my um, choice in Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever read the book Tomorrow When the War Began, that series? Oh, we haven't meant to for school and I, yeah, I was not a good English student. Okay, because that reminds me of that, although this is a teen teen series. I think there were seven books and that's these kids go camping on the East Coast and while they're out camping over like, not Australia Day weekend, but something like that, then Australia gets invaded by um, 
an unnamed Asian country yeah, and then okay. they kind of are like become little rebels trying to help. I think I was meant to write an essay when I was 16 on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a movie the first talk, so there you go. Maybe I'll appreciate it more now that I'm older. Yeah. All right. And what, uh, of course, obviously you've listened to every episode of this podcast. Yes. Not avoiding eye contact with me at all right now. <laughs> I do listen to most. I definitely listen to I, most. Okay. I feel like you would be trying to like back away slowly, except that I've built this little fort in your living room. So you can't back away. Like you're quite literally stuck right near me. Um, but what are you listening to? Aside from our podcast, of course. Um. So Rosie Waterland had written a book um called the anti-cool kid and she has a podcast with her mum essentially going through each chapter of the book every each podcast is a different chapter and um it's absolutely brilliant so she's a comedian and she's had a really difficult life um with her family involved in substance abuse and all sorts of stuff and so like it it isn't actually funny when you try and explain it to someone but she's a comedian and the way she handles her life and processes things and um it's very interesting because she'll read the book and some of it's really hard for her mum to listen to because it was like wow I really did that when I was drunk I was a bad mum um but and then they chat it through and stuff and it's yeah I think with her being a comedian it's very interesting to listen to yeah so definitely recommend. Any, any music at the moment? No. I'm very much like a hits of 2019 play the top. Yeah, I don't invest in music. Oh, much. I thought you were about to say like hits of like 2000 and I was like, well, I do that of, too. <laughs> did you know that Backstreet Boys are playing in Perth? And a couple, oh, no, that was. You did. You told I, yeah, me. Yes. I came across that information in the office yesterday and made sure everybody knew about it. Anyway, just in case you didn't know, I thought you should. All right, next question. Tell me about your childhood and what you were like as a kid. My childhood was good. I was very lucky. I grew up in Harvey in the southwest of WA. Um, And on my dad's side, um, I think I am something like the fifth or sixth generation to live in Harvey. Um, Yeah, so like my nana's um grandmother lived in Harvey and granddad and my pop moved over um his parents brought him to Harvey so um I've got a lot of family and I grew up around a lot of family dad's one of five and we were just always playing like the cousins and that um and then my mum um is Italian but she grew up mainly in Australia um and yeah I was just really fortunate um for her um, going home to see her family. So my nonna and nonna, my grandparents moved over here for her. It just wasn't like really a luxury back then to grow up with her, um, cousins and that. So I was really lucky enough that when we were kids, every few years, we would go over, um, and visit my family over there. Um, so that I could grow up with my, um, second cousins and cousins over there and my aunties and uncles. Um, so yeah, on that aspect, I was pretty lucky and it was good. So when your grandparents moved over here, that made your mum first generation Australian. Yeah. But you would have had a pretty authentic experience growing up with grandparents. Yeah, very much. Like, um, yeah, I think it's surprising to some actually because like um, living the lifestyle I do now, it's a very Australian lifestyle. And even growing up in Harvey, it was um, recently a very Australian lifestyle. So 
some people don't really see that Italian side. I think even when we went down for Christmas, um, I just had my brother's wedding. So I had um, some, yeah, a bunch of Italian relatives that have come over for it. And my partner was very taken back because we were at my house. um, And there was just like all these relatives speaking Italian going back and forth across the table, very loud, a lot of pasta being cooked. And um, (laughs) yeah, so I guess that's a side that, um, you don't see like in every day, um, but it's definitely, yeah, definitely half of who I am. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like you said, you have a lot of family in Harvey, quite a few people. And I guess that's why you had to go 2000 kilometers away to come and meet your boyfriend just to make sure you're outside. Honestly, the <laughs> like honestly, because of my, yeah, my, <laughs> my Nana and Pop both growing up in Harvey, I would do the family tree check I reckon before <laughs> before dating someone we um it's quite funny so on boxing day my nana's mum who's passed away now that side of the family all has a boxing day lunch so it will be nana and her siblings and then obviously the generations down and down from that and we used to have it at someone's house but it just got too big so we now hire out the local hall and we have it there and it's crazy because it looks like a full function but it's just actually like a family boxing day lunch (laughs) like yeah it's It's intense actually nuts now if you grow up down in the southwest of WA, Harvey is very well known for being dairy country. So yeah. a lot of dairies down there. You had a big Italian family. How do you end up in the Kimberley in cattle station country? So my, um, I've always loved horses, um, which is probably one of the first things that attracted me to the Kimberley, like every, you know, <laughs> young female. <laughs> but, um, but essentially I used to come up, my dad um, works for a sales um feed company and he would come up for work um every now and then during the year and when I was yeah 15 16 um I would come up on holiday my school holidays with him and he would kind of take a week out on a station up there and we'd go mustering for the week and I just loved it I think at that point I'd kind of decided that that's what I do when I finish school so that's kind of what yeah really got me into it what was your first experience like? That's quite young to come out to a cattle station, especially, and I suppose a different experience than for most people because you've come up while you're still in high school and your parents are there with you as well and you're only there for a few weeks at a time. So, like, we did you get to do it a bit easier than everyone else? Like, you were kind of like a bit of a guest or... And I just can't mm. imagine what it would be like coming up such a different, such a different country. Yeah, I loved it. Like, it definitely was still a holiday for me. Like, I was pretty lucky... I'd do a bit of mustering, but I could then go, you know, hang out with the horse breaker in an afternoon and that. Like, I was very lucky and, like, um, going up there, they didn't just work me to the bone <laughs> underage. <laughs> um, but I just loved that it was just – it was, like, nothing I'd ever seen or known before. Um, and that's, I think, what really drew me to it, yeah. And so when you finished high school, you went up north on a gap year. Did you know – did you know what you wanted to do then or did you just not want to go to uni yet? I hadn't really thought past that year, to be honest. Like I was just like, I'm going up north. And then I hadn't thought about part. I, I think my parents thought I had because I had, um, yeah, finished high school and applied for uni and deferred a year in animal science. Um, but 
Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I had I was thinking about that at all, <laughs> to be honest. I was just thinking about getting up north and, and doing that and um, going from there. Yeah. So after being up to the Kimberley a few times with your parents or your dad throughout high school and having that experience and then after high school you got there all by yourself and this time it's the real deal, you're employed, you're there to work. What was that experience like? Um, I loved it. It was definitely one of the challengingest things I'd done um, because I was in the old state system We and I had a late birthday. I turned um, 17 just a few months before I headed up. So I was quite young. I think physically I found that really hard just because I hadn't done any manual work before that. So it was definitely all a challenge. The heat was hard. Um Everything was really new, like it was obviously the first time living away from family and and home. Um, but to be honest, I loved it. I loved the experience, um, but it was definitely a challenging one. Um, so, yeah, I was in a stock camp um, with myself and another um, female and then the rest were um, blokes. Um, yeah, I have noticed kind of since then those dynamics I noticed them change over the years um and there were obviously females in the Kimberley and that but we were definitely yeah just the two of us um for most of the year um which I we we were became best friends and yeah we loved that um so that was really good um my manager is actually still a good friend net now and he supported me throughout my um uni and just career um I don't know how many times I've asked him to write a reference and sometimes he's like but right you haven't worked for me for x amount of years and I'll be like that doesn't matter <laughs> you're my favorite boss yeah, so <laughs> you say nice things about me <laughs> um so yeah it was really good to have him um and then I had there's always a few interesting characters on the station I remember my head stockman was quite interesting um yeah we he did I remember at the start, he just told us straight out. He was he um, was quite old-fashioned and he just told us straight out that, you know, he didn't um, think women should be in the stock camp and um, if it was up to him, they wouldn't be. But, you know, these days that's not allowed, so here you are. <laughs> um, was he a young fella? No, no, he wasn't. He um, probably around um, probably around mid-50s um, at the time. Yeah, so um, he'd come from a different time. Yeah, yeah. So he'd been working on the stock camps since he was young um, and obviously just came from a very different um, background, um, wasn't a bad person at all, but um, di- quite frankly didn't know what to do with us. <laughs> um, I remember one time um, we had to put down um, a cow. Um, it, was, it was injured and we needed to euthanize it. And um, he actually got us to um, – he didn't think that – females would should be able to watch that um so he actually got the two of us um to stand behind the car while while they put this animal um down did you have to turn around as well we weren't allowed to look yeah sorry but it was out of sight so we we weren't allowed to look um and I was just young at the time so I was just like well this is a bit weird but all right like that's so bizarre (laughs) Um, did you have to help like later on did they have to drag it anywhere or did you get to go walk up to it afterwards or was it I don't know I think it was more the 
the um shooting it part I think I don't know if that was too vulgar for women to see I really now that I look back I'm like that is quite bizarre um but this is in the last decade (laughs) yeah which is like we're not talking 12 yeah we're not talking about the 70s here um but yeah yeah so there was um a few interesting moments like that but to be honest like I think you can either handle it in a way where you feel victimized or you can kind of make the most of it and and use it to push you to work harder and to kind of show that you are value um to the team so yeah I don't think it really had a negative um impact that much only really kind of drove me to to want to be more helpful yeah how do you think that you changed and he changed over the course of the season was he treating you different towards the end of the year yeah, I think there kind of came a point where, like, you, you, the stock camp, there's not that many people in it, so you really need to be able to rely and use all the people in your camp. And I think towards the end, he got more used to the idea of having females <laughs> in the camp, but also realised that um, by allowing us to do, you know, most of most of the work that some of the guys would be doing, you know, it was actually helping him and the whole camp as well. So I definitely think we both learned a lot. Um, and, and yeah, like, as I said, like he had different views, obviously to my manager who was very much just like every, anyone and everyone, you know, there's a job, go and do it. Uh, so I definitely had a range of different people and, and backgrounds in there too. Um, but yeah, like a, another one would be um, a bucking horse. I remember, so I grew up riding. I was pretty lucky that by the time I got up to the station, I was pretty comfortable on a horse and young horses. And there was, um, yeah, we'd had some young horses and it was amazing. I, I felt sorry for some of these guys who had literally learned to ride like the year beforehand, <laughs> get on some of these horses um, and get bucked off and bucked off and, and yeah, he would put uh, a, a guy on who was only was an inexperienced rider or just kind of a very um, in the middle, you know, to get the yeah. job done rider um, over a female who could ride quite comfortably because he just didn't he thought he just didn't want to see us get hurt. Um, so that one was always amusing too, uh, a little bit frustrating at times, but it was amusing the way it kind of worked for him because. Um, it wasn't in the best interest of everyone <laughs> at some points, yeah. Yeah, but I'm sure that would have been a massive learning curve for him. Yeah, yeah, and like I said, like he wasn't a bad person. He's just come from a really different background to um to what some other managers will come from or experienced within their careers too. So um, and I think yeah. that says a lot about your character as well because. I know I feel like in this industry there are going to be definitely some really tough people you come across and people that are tough to work with and like you you just said like you can feel victimized or you can kind of step up and take it on I think there's for everyone they need to know their limit to figure out am I just in a tough situation where I need to step up or am I is there actually something more going on here and this person is a bully or yeah whatever but for the most I would say like 99% of the time it's just learning to deal with someone I think people can be a little bit maybe more abrasive and um abrupt and yeah and it's, it's just about having to to learn that kind of people with that, that sort of social skill set and nature um so- I think a winning point for me was I had um one of my friends in the camp had one of the guys had 
convinced me to sign up to the steer ride at the Derby Rodeo and I just thought it was the craziest thing ever and I said yeah fine and me and a few friends did it and I was so nervous but um I, I'd never ridden one before, obviously, and I got on, and I don't know how I did it, but I ended up winning the whole thing. Really? And somebody had donated some money because it was, and you know, it was for men and, and women. Well, it was mainly for men, but there was women in it. There's more, a lot more women now in it, which is great. Um, but somebody had donated um, three hundred dollars for the person for the best female rider, the person who gets the highest of female, um, cause they assumed that that person wouldn't be the winner, be the winner overall. Um, so I won the, the, the overall money and then I got to take the $300 as well. Um, but apart, apart from the money, like to go back to the stock camp, I remember I was just like so proud, um, to be like, look, females can do things <laughs> um, from that. Yeah, that was a highlight for me. I love that you have that great success success story. And the closest I've got is that I rode a donkey and made time in Nebraska, but all the other <laughs> competitors. It was with a bull rope though, mind you, but I made time because it stopped bucking halfway through. Um, and all the other competitors were like 12 year old boys, but you know, <laughs> not quite as wild as you riding something in the Kimberley. But... <laughs> I didn't know you could ride donkeys. Yeah, <laughs> apparently it's a thing. Milne Feeds has been the leading provider of livestock feed in WA for over 100 years and is now proudly servicing the Northern Territory too. Their early weaner product is a nutritionally balanced pellet for feeding to pastoral calves and young weaners and has been developed with their high-fibre technology to reduce the risk of acidosis. Milne Feeds also have a range of products available for beef and dairy cattle, sheep and horses. Find out more at milne.com.au. So going back to the horses, you said that he was always, you know, leaning more towards putting a bloke on one of the breakers than you, but did you get a chance to work with the breakers at all while you were up there? Definitely. And to be fair, it was actually after I did the steer ride that I came back and they were doing breakers not long after and I used that as enough leverage (laughs) to be able um, to start riding a few. Um, But yeah, we actually had a whole whole bunch of breakers um, that the headstock was like, right, we need to ride them all because they weren't getting ridden, um, which was definitely um, true where we were just using um, the better horses in our camp and we needed to um, start riding the breakers. And so we had a muster. I remember we'd worked for a few weeks and we're really waiting for a day off. And, um, yeah, this is probably one of my most memorable days. Well, most trying days that have really pushed me to um, to keep at it. Um, we all got on a breaker for the day and um, we were walking wieners out back home from the yards and um it was interesting because everybody was on a breaker that was on their first um muster or walkout so mine was just like what is like what is that cow it's moving towards me oh my god (laughs) um and that was by it was a bike actually for the start and then he got on a breaker actually that was just to get him out of the yards and um the governess was coming with us too so we gave the governess our one trusty horse. <laughs> um, we had more horses that were trusty, but that was the one where we were all on breakers except for her. And um, unfortunately, we we got out 
a little bit. And because it wasn't meant to be a long day, he said, look, finish at lunch. You'll get the rest of the day off. And we were like, yes, like we've struck gold. We don't need water, which looking back is not <laughs> ideal. We don't need food. We don't need radios because it's just a walkout. We'll be done. And then we've got the rest of the day off. And um, the governess didn't do her girth up properly and slipped off. The saddle came under the horse's belly and the horse came bucking round and we I remember just watching it I was in the lead and it came round and just started going straight through the middle of the mob just straight <laughs> through and all our all the horses just like absolutely just Pick shit off. themselves <laughs> um because yeah there was wieners going everywhere and they were just like ah <laughs> and um yeah, so we're trying to get this the mob back and um I remember it was kind of a corner so um our leading cam was like, Right, you're going to cut across the corner and we'll cut them off there. And so we're like, Okay, so we're riding these. I remember at this point I was like, I am the man from Snowy River. <laughs> like I can see the music going, like <laughs> Um Yeah, anyway, I remember Part of that to get to the other side was through floodplains and we ended up, I remember I was riding through the floodplain water like, oh my gosh, there's definitely a freshwater crocodiles in here. And I knew that if I fell off a horse that it would just bolt, like I wouldn't be able to get back on it. So like we were just cantering through this water being like, do not spook, do not buck me off, otherwise I'm stuck like up a tree or something. (laughs) Meanwhile, we actually just left the governess under a tree (laughs) and said like look sorry when we get to the other side we'll radio someone and let them know you're here um which is not ideal either looking back like that's but I mean what do you do you couldn't put it on the back of a breakup because they can't have two people but anyway um and then we ended up getting to the um place where we had to keep them and um then we had a lot of water, which was great. By that time, we were in the afternoon, and it wasn't. Let's be. It was. I would say sixty percent of them. Um, we did have to do a little remaster for the rest. <laughs> um, so yeah, we had to go back for the rest later on. But um, yeah, we got there, and we realised that we had to truck these breakers, and we were kind of asking around, like, did anybody? who was the person who kind of broke these horses into um, getting on a truck? And we realized no one had. (laughs) Um, So we were all trying to get these breakers on the truck. By this time, it was about five o'clock and we'd had water, but there was no food. And um, yeah, we'd have two people on the rump trying to get these horses in. And it got to sunset and there was two horses left and it was mine <laughs> and the leading hand and they just weren't going on. So we, um, so yeah, we got on them at sunset and just rode home. I think it was about 15K. So yeah, got home, um, I think it was like 7.30 or 8 o'clock by the time we started and got going and got back. And, um, and that was definitely the most memorable day. I was like, at that point, to be honest, like, I think if that happened now, I'd be like, this is not organized. But back then I was like, this is so cool. I am living the dream. Everything's so extreme. I haven't eaten in like 
12 hours and I'm extremely dehydrated but I was like the man from Snowy River today. (laughs) Except I think he had a saddlebag full of snacks. (laughs) And he did way more impressive stuff let's be honest. Oh another thing was through croc infested waters just saying. In a a helmet because I was I was pretty like conscious about um, riding young horses um, wearing helmets and um, so yeah I was like it's fine it's only a few hours I'm not going to get that sunburn it's not that hot and by the end of the day I was just crispy like my lips were just (laughs) it was hard I think that's such a good reminder that you never know you always have to prepare for the worst and bring water yeah that's it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it because you're like and radios yeah we're just going out for a short walk you know for the morning and we'll be back next minute you're on uneducated horses walking uneducated cattle yeah (laughs) she hits the fan you've got no water no sunscreen no wide brim hat no radio i mean that's an example of like a day that's gone wrong um the place i worked on um i actually really loved and there were so many things throughout the season that weren't completely right. Yeah. But I, <laughs> so. I think having, like, you've got to have those days, though, because it makes you appreciate the days that go right. Definitely. And it's still also just an adventure on those days. And it, I feel like it forces you to be a bit resilient and resourceful because you can't just be like, like, you don't have anything. You're like, well, I'm out here in the middle of nowhere. No one's going to come rescue me or no one's, no one else is going to come get these cattle yeah. back together. Like, you just have to step up and do it. And yeah. I think you feel... Did you feel like a huge sense of achievement at the end of the day? Like, I definitely you, did. Yeah. Especially because I was, um, I knew the horse I'd got on was really shady about get, throwing your leg over and off. Um, so I knew that I just didn't want to risk getting on and off too many times. So in the day, like for that whole trip, I was like, I do not need to go to the toilet. I do not need to, it doesn't matter how long we're here. I'm not getting off this horse because I do not really want to risk um not being able to get it back um if it runs off so by the end I was very sore but um no it was a really I think it was a really good experience in kind of um making light of when things don't go your way as well I think I imagine stepping into the shower that night would have been like the best feeling ever yes yeah, I remember. I I don't know why I remember this because it's like eight years ago now. But I just remember having a big bowl of meringue because <laughs> I missed dinner because <laughs> I was riding in the dark. But I got home and I was like, yes, I'm gonna have a big bowl of meringue. Being 17 at the time, I was like, this is great. This and um, microwave popcorn that <laughs> that would satisfy me. <laughs> And so after that year, you ended up heading back down south to go to uni. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So after that year, um, I kind of was like, not sure. I I knew that I kind of wanted to work in agriculture. I wasn't sure if it was as a producer, if it was even with cattle or with um, other animals. So I thought, yeah, it'd be a good idea to um, get a degree under my belt just to kind of help me in making that decision in the years to come. Yeah. When did you start thinking about at what at what point in the year while you were up on the station did you start thinking, okay, I'm going to go to uni next year? Was that like a last minute like thing or did you start thinking about it a bit earlier on? I definitely, so I'd signed up before I left mm-hmm. and throughout the year it was just kind of like some parts of the year I was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. And then other parts I was like, no, that's what I'm going to do next year. And I think um, towards the end of the year, yeah, I, I definitely was keen to go to uni. I think also um, being from down 
south. I've seen a lot of my friends who um, graduated with me, like they were um, just growing up in Bunbury. It's not that agricultural, Harvey is, but like they were having 18ths and going out and doing all these things and I, I kind of wanted to um, not miss out on that either. So I was keen to kind of experience a different, another another lifestyle, um, different from my childhood and different from the Kimberley as well. So how did you find university after that year on the station? That would be a pretty big change for you. Yeah, I found it comfortable. <laughs> um, my room was, no, my room, to be honest, the room on the station I was at was uh, really like, as far as the donger goes, it was lovely. I even had a, like a little mini bar fridge in it. So there's no complaints there, but yeah, like the hours I worked on the station compared to the hours I'd have to do at uni, um, uni was very comfortable. Yeah. So you're back down at uni and it's a pretty cushy lifestyle compared to station life. How long did you last before you, I feel like people, we get a bit of an addiction to cattle stations and you just have to go and get your hit, not to make a crass remark about addictions or try to glamorize that at all. As I said that, I was like, oh, this isn't going well. Um, But yeah, sometimes you just need to get your fix. So how long did you last before you ended up back on a station again? Yeah, it definitely was an addiction for me. I loved it. Um, I didn't regret being in Perth and studying, but I couldn't wait to get back up. And I was really lucky that the station I worked on um, for the for my gap year um, gave me a job just to come up for five weeks um, in yeah my mid semester break, and I ended up doing that um, every year which um, which was really good. So, yeah, I couldn't stay away for too long. I was lucky enough to time in a few rodeos around that time too, which was a lot of fun <laughs> um, for an 18-year-old, which I loved. So, yeah. And so as you went through your degree at uni, could you find – how long did it take for you to find a way to see how that could match up with working in the pastoral industry? Or did you – was there a while where you were just at uni and you are wondering – how you were going to combine these two Mm. worlds. I think for me, I was still looking at what I wanted to do in agriculture. Um, I knew that I loved working on stations, but I I just wasn't sure if that was um, something I wanted to pursue long um, term. For me, um, so after a year at uni, I decided to have another gap year. I by that stage I was sure that I was going to finish my degree, but I wasn't that um, committed. I was really keen to just keep experiencing different things. Um, so I went to um, Kentucky in America for six months. I got an internship on a horse racing stud there, where I um, yeah basically had a six month program where I worked and studied all things horse racing industry. Um, I did. Um, a foaling season so I would look after the mares and foals during the day and then be on call three nights a week to deliver foals Um, which was really interesting I loved the mix of like knowledge and learning stuff and and doing the physical work as well it was really kind of fulfilling on both sides Um, but I think after that year literally living and breathing the racing industry like everything down to the bar you would go to 
on a Friday night was a racing bar. Like <laughs> everything about Kentucky <laughs> is horse racing. Um, so definitely after living and breathing it, I found the deciding thing for me that I wanted to work in the cattle industry was um, I found the producers were there because they loved the industry, they loved cattle and they loved working with cattle um, and producing cattle um, rather than um, that focus more on um, money and, and income. Yeah. Um, not to say that all people working in the racing industry are just focused on that because um, there's a lot of passionate people that just love horses. Um, but for me, working with producers and on stations, I just found your focus really was to make a living um, out of looking after cattle and producing cattle, and I really liked that. And I think that's kind of when I decided um, – that when I went back to uni, I'd kind of have more of a focus um, on the northern beef industry. Yeah. When you spent time in the stock camp, so on your gap year and then the, the time she came up to work while you are at uni, what career opportunities did you think there were for you in the northern beef industry? Like what what, yeah. what jobs did you know about and what did you think your options were? So for me... Um, the only options I saw were um, to make your way up um, through a stock camp, um, to be a head stockman, a manager, um, and maybe even owner one day. Um, I had a lot of respect for the people I worked for um, and who taught me a lot. Um, but I just knew um, that I didn't want to be a producer. That wasn't where my – I could see their passion in it and I could see that that wasn't, um, that wasn't what drove me. Um, so I knew that I wanted to work in the industry and I think I definitely found it hard because I think, um, there's definitely times where people were kind of like, well, why are you going, you can't use your degree up here. Like there's nothing, there's nothing you use your degree for. There's no work, there's no jobs. And even down South, a lot of people, when I was graduating, were saying, look, either stay down here and there is, yeah, different job opportunities down South, but stay down here or go to Queensland, but that's it. (laughs) Um, and so for me, being really persistent in, no, there are there are so many jobs that make up the beef industry um, and, and being a producer is such an important component, um, but it's not the only one that make up the beef industry. So I, I was kind of had to... S- I didn't really know any many people who had taken that path of being on a stock camp and then gone off to study and come back. I found a lot of people kind of had their gap here and left. And a lot of people would say that to me, like they'd be like, anyway, you're gone. You'll go now. Like you, you're studying, you'll be off that. Like you've just had your gap here. And then, and I kept coming back. They were like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? And even when I graduated and came back um, in the role I currently am in, they were just like, so what are you doing? Like you've, what are you doing? <laughs> like, oh, she was serious. She's yeah. actually here to stay. How, how did you start to find out what the other opportunities were? Like, how did you discover what you could do in this industry that was outside of the stock camp? For me, it was just determination. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't really have um, someone in particular that I'd kind of seen take that path before me. So I kind of just thought, right, I'm just going to have to do it myself. Um but I just, I just believed that there were 
there were jobs out there in the industry that weren't um, being a producer. Um, and so I literally just started introducing myself to people. <laughs> um, I remember I started um, after the station I worked on, I introduced myself to another station that was um, a family station. I just wanted to... I knew that they had been around for a long time and I and I really respected them. So I just literally introduced myself and was like, do you think I can come up here in my final years, um, in my breaks? And then um, through there, um, I knew that there was the CEO of the KPCA. Um, the, so he put the my boss on the second property I worked on, he put me onto her and I literally just called her up and was just like, hi, <laughs> um, I'm studying this. I'm just keen. I love the Northern beef industry. I love agriculture. I still love learning. Um, and, and yeah, I know you don't have any jobs that I just want to introduce myself. And luckily enough, that door opened up. She said, look, yeah, we don't have any jobs. Um, but, um, there's this scholarship going to send people over to Nubruck, um, which is like a Northern Beef Research um, conference every four years. Three years. Every three, three. years. <laughs> um, and I was like, sure, great. I applied for that and went over there. And I think that's when I realized that there were jobs um, to work with producers, to work alongside producers, um, and all other parts of the industry um, that were available to people like me. What, um, what were some of those jobs or pe- like the, of the people you met? What were some of the things that they were doing for work? Yeah, so there was consultants um, for partialists. There was researchers. There was vets. Um, there was development um, and extension officers, so getting your um, research out to producers in a way that they can um, use it on their properties. Uh, there was all sorts of different jobs. Um, there was salespeople, um, people selling um, technology, people selling feeds, um, people working with nutrition, so looking at different licks, um, yeah, there was a whole range, and it also um, made me realize, and it's made me realize it's not just in Queensland. Um, there was people throughout the Northern Territory. Um, there were people there from the Kimberley too. Yeah, <laughs> there were definitely people from the Kimberley there too. Um, I think there's definitely. I think we can't deny there's probably more job opportunities in Queensland for sure because they have a a lot more cattle than anywhere mm. else in the country but there are still opportunities in other states you just kind of have to hustle a little harder and search them out a little bit more I think they're not as not as easy to find but and, they're there yeah and I think just being yeah like you said like I think being determined in what you want because it was definitely very easy to, for in that environment to see oh look there's a job going in Queensland or um Darwin or um, yeah, so there was definitely different jobs like that. And I was like, no, I, I really want to work um, in the Kimberley. Um, I want to work in WA. I see an opportunity there. Um, and one did come up. Um, yeah, I definitely think I kind of had to stay very persistent in in what I wanted to do, um, which was I was just determined that there had to be jobs out there where you could work in the northwestern beef industry um, and not be a producer, whether that's role, um, 
working assisting partialists, if it's a role selling things to partialists, if it's a role researching things for partialists. Um, I was definitely just determined um, to to find an opportunity and a place for me um, within the industry that suited um, my skill set. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, and I think that's something probably a lot of people come across. I know for myself, it's been like an ongoing thing in the last 10 years until I got into the job I'm in, one of the jobs I'm in now, is that, yeah, I want to be, and so many people are like, we want to be in the northern beef industry, but you don't want to be in the stock camp forever. And the way this industry is structured, and I think any, I guess any industry for that matter, is that it's kind of, I imagine it as a bit of like a triangle and you've got, you know, the majority of people are at at a lower level and then you've kind of got a smaller amount at the middle management and then you've just got a select few who can make it to the top so or that that are in the top it's just the way we're structured so while you might have 10 people start off in a stock camp not everybody can progress to be a, a manager because there's just not that many managers positions but there are so many other opportunities to still be in this industry Charles Darwin University's Agricultural and Rural Operations team focuses on North Australian production and business systems, offering current real-world knowledge and experience by delivering both full qualifications and industry-required short courses. Courses at the rural campus are designed to develop the skills required for work on a North Australian beef cattle property or in the top-end ag industry while providing a sound knowledge base in the pastoral and agricultural industries. They have dedicated staff who specialise in workplace training and assessment and recognition of prior learning. They will come to you and service some of the most remote areas in the Northern Territory. Find out more at cdu.edu.au. So it was really kind of a journey that you went on from, I guess, that started off in high school when you got to come up. To... Holly, you're the so, worst. So I didn't actually disclose this before. It's not just me and Mariah in our little podcasting booth. We do have her broom special dog called Holly there, as you just heard. She's been so good. Oh, oh, no. Now, now, you see it. We go, I pay to go to dog school on Saturdays for this. Sweet. Good girl. I'm like, do I cut anyway. that bit out? I'm not, I'm not sure. We'll leave that in. That can stay in. This is a this is a grassroots, real, <laughs> true blue podcast, guys. No fancy stuff going on here. Um, I mean, the dog is sitting on the couch, but... <laughs> and we are sitting on the floor. But you know, yeah. um, what was I talking about? Um, about finding a job in the Kimberley and how you oh, kind of had to like. That it was a bit of a journey oh, wait, for yeah. you, and then about. Yeah, well, I just think that it was a journey. For, like, if you think you started off in high school, you came up north, then you went back down south, then you came up north again, you went south, you went overseas. This whole time, like, you were drawn to the northern beef industry, but you knew that the role you wanted to do, Holly, you're so thirsty, <laughs> wasn't there, like, and or wasn't that you didn't know about it yet, but you kept persisting and it's paid off because now you're in this great role where you can assist pastoralists. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think... Holly, <laughs> sorry guys, you're the worst. We'll just wait a minute for her to stop drinking. She's having the biggest drink, dude. You're a camel. <laughs> she ran out of water. Yeah. Okay. Good. Oh. Okay, Holly. 
Holly's back on the couch. So we'll just pick up. We're basically just talking about how it was a bit of a journey for you and that you persisted and then it paid off. Um, so I wanted, I suppose, I, I want to ask you though, like, so it was, it was that journey. You went up north, down south, overseas, up, down, up, down, all over the place. It came across all these other amazing opportunities in the meantime. What is it that kept drawing you back to, in particularly Western Australia and the Kimberley and the Northern beef industry when there were all these other opportunities at your fingertips? I'm sorry. <laughs> I, the dog has gone rogue, guys. She's gone rogue. I think for me, the Kimberley was the place where I was always thinking about. Like, I don't know if other people experience it, but, you know, and you're in one place and you're happy, but you're always kind of – I was always thinking like, oh, it's going to be Derby Rodeo next weekend or the Bullaram or I was always kind of – Part of my mind, my heart was always still in the Kimberley and thinking about the Kimberley. And when I was here, like now that I live in the Kimberley and whenever I was living in the Kimberley, there was nowhere else. Like I wasn't thinking about another place or, or wishing I was in another place. I think that's what's unique about the Kimberley is when I'm I'm here, there's nowhere else I would rather be. It almost sounds like you're talking about your true love. <laughs> Like when you were describing that, I'm like, I imagine that's what it would be like to find your true love, but same, same, I guess. So I suppose to wrap this up, what would, you know, there's going to be so many people listening to this that love the industry we're in, have had great experiences in the stock camp, but they're not quite sure where they feel. I suppose before we wrap this up with some of your parting advice, we should just run through a couple of the jobs that are out there to to give people some ideas of just starting points, because like you said, you had to really look, look around yeah. for what opportunities they were. And now and that I'm here, I'm so aware of all the is. amount of jobs that are available that some, um, you need degrees, some need, you know, like specialist training, some don't, um, need, don't de- need degrees, some you, you do internships. Um, there's so many different paths um, <laughs> that suit different personalities and skill sets. Um, that are available to people and I definitely recommend like you don't have to if you're not looking to be a leading hand or a manager you don't need to just do a year in a stock camp and think there's nothing else for me in the industry because that's just definitely not true. So some of the jobs that people can do um, I suppose and the other thing is I feel like in this industry, it's a lot of who you know, not what you know sometimes. So you've got to really make those, do that networking to find out about job opportunities. Literally call people up and just say hi. Honestly, and cold calls. Yourself. Like if you've got some initiative and some hustle, generally yeah. most people respond pretty well. I'd get so nervous <laughs> uh, before I'd call someone. Um, but it was every time it was worth it. Every yeah. time. And I found pretty much everyone I called, um, just being a keen young person wanting to work in the industry, I was just, I definitely was received with open arms. Like everyone was really supportive, happy to help. Um, and it's definitely what helped me um, get where I am today. Yeah. Okay. So we'll run through some of these jobs quickly then. Off the top of my head, I'm thinking what, if you want to stay on a station, some things. So some, generally this is more the corporate companies, um, that have this role, not so much the privately owned or, or family operated places, but a technical officer. 
So that's, you know, people that can assist in that, especially as we get more digital and people um, assist in the data collection. One, um, when I worked for a pastoral company, they also had a stud manager and a stud registrar. So they would handle, because they had a stud on the station, so they would handle all the genetics and all the data there and Mm -hmm. all those kind of records. Even, you know, it's a little bit different, and I did it for a couple of months, is being the admin person. Yeah, admin and reception. Yeah, um, is definitely Which, a thing on different on different size stations. Obviously. Yeah, um, but you can have it can, you know, when I did it, I was it was one of like seven or eight stations, and I was kind of helping out with a bit of everything for all of them, and the stuff you get to learn just watching the invoices of like who's buying what and, and how it works and why they're buying this and how, how that all works. And also the cattle sales, like I got all the paperwork that came in from the agents afterwards and I'd have to go through Holly. And um, it was just so cool to just see those, those sheets and, and also make a system to track all the, the way bills and all that kind of stuff. But just to see how you just see that whole different side that when I was in the camp, I never got to see that side of things. So yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't knock the idea of working in an office because you can, and depending on who you're working with, and if you want to be in the office with someone else, I was really lucky that the owners would be in um, most days at different times, and I'd be like, hey, why are you doing this or why are you doing that? And they were really like, I just was a sponge mm-hmm. and learned so much from them. I think even another one on station is um, the man who wrote my degree actually now works um, for a station um, and mainly on the station. Um, and he works as a research scientist um, working with center pivots. Um, so there is literally a whole range of things you can do on station, and that's just on station. So <laughs> off station, there's livestock agents um, that are responsible for buying and selling cattle. Feed. Huge, huge job, yeah, feed people. Supplies. Nu- nutritionists. Um, and then you've even got, you know, like, yeah, like feed companies, like what your dad does. Yeah. Um, so Mariah's dad is a lovely Dean Morn from Milne Feeds, who has been one of our sponsors since day one. So that's also just what a, what do you call that? Serendipity. I remember I got Hi, back. Hi, dad. Yeah. Hey, I've Dean. Ma- I've made it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I got back from um, America and I went to go meet your dad in person for the first time. This would be like December 2017. And I hadn't figured out what, what I was going to do now that I was living back in Australia. And we went and met. And I remember him telling me about his daughter, Mariah, who works up in Broome in, in a job that I wanted to do. And I was, and he, and cause I was looking for people to write blogs for Central Station. He's like, you should get Mariah to do one. And he gave me your phone number and stuff. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then lo and behold, like six months later, we were working yeah. together. My dad was definitely someone to help with. Oh my gosh. He would do that all the time to people in the industry. He would be like, I've got a daughter. Here's her number. Um, give her a call, you know, I'll get her to call you and just have a chat. And I'll be like, dad, stop doing this. And, and to be honest, half of them, it was great because half of them, yeah, it would, it would be able to, you know, it would put me in touch with someone really useful, but the amount of people he would just give me numbers of and be like, I've already introduced you, give them a call. You know, they might have something in line for you or something. And I was, oh, <laughs> I love, and for anybody that's not sure about reaching out, like just do it. Cause I have all the time in the world for people if they show a little bit of hustle and initiative. So I've had people come to me and us, I'm very selective now with who I introduce to who and that networking because sometimes if you connect somebody that you don't really know with somebody that you do and then they don't follow through or they kind of, mm. you know, don't treat it right, it reflects bad on you. But when people actually – there's so many people that have um, come and been like, oh, do you know anything about this or that? And 
and being able to connect people. Yeah, we love doing that in this industry. So definitely stock the sh- yeah. stock the heck out of us. Um, so livestock agent, nutritionist. Yeah, like you said, the salespeople. I was just talking to somebody from um, the pharmaceutical companies today that work in yeah. pain relief, and that's their job to go around and discuss their products. You know. You might think, oh, a sales job, I don't want to be flogging stuff. But, you know, you've got things like pain relief or remote water monitoring technologies, mm. any, anything that people need. It's important. It's a big it's a huge investment, whatever people buy on a station. Nothing comes cheaply, even if you're just talking about the why that you're using. So any advice and assistance you can offer somebody when they're investing that amount of money in something, I think is is, yeah, something to look yeah. at. I um, think if you're interested in um, that academic and research road there's definitely jobs um, in research but there's also jobs um, going down more of a consultant's road Um, I know consultants um, if you are interested in getting an ag degree I know consultants who take on interns um, after that and they train them up um, to work in their consultancy firms and that as well so there's kind of all different pathways. Yeah, there's so many things you can do. Some, like we said, some you need a degree, some you don't. Yeah. So some... please don't listen to the person if you're if you're doing a gap year and they're like, look, there's nothing here for you. If you're not going to tough it out and be the leading hand or the manager, there's just nothing here for you because there definitely um, there definitely is. And I I think. Just to finish up on that, don't discount how important every person in the supply chain is because you might think, oh, well, you know, I don't want to be a truck driver. Like, you know, I'm not going to do that. The people that are responsible, like I was I was doing this project the other day talking to producers about something and about transporting cattle. And they're like, are you interviewing any truck drivers about this? And I was like, oh, my God, that's a really good idea. Some people, I love it. Sometimes you make fancy names for like jobs you have, like – um ball runners can call themselves bovine hydration technicians (laughs) and truck drivers are bovine relocation technicians. Um, But everybody, there are some roles that you may not think at first glance are super important, but transporting cattle is a huge, like it's not just getting the truck and drive from A to B. Like there's a lot more to it than that. So I would encourage people to really have a bit of a dig around and ask people about what opportunities are out there. And, And I guess also build it into what you're interested in and what kind of lifestyle you want as well. Yeah. So to finish this up then, because not to sound like young girls in their 20s, well, at least one of us is, but (laughs) (laughs) as I said that, I was like, crap, I'm not in my 20s anymore. Um, Married at first sight did start 12 minutes ago, and I'm very aware of this fact. It is dinner party night, guys. Um, (laughs) What is some advice or some great advice that you've gotten from other people and some advice that you would like to give to our listeners i think i actually read it and i guess a saying that i take with me as advice um is that you can't um be a victim and feel empowered at the same time and think that's something that i've really taken with me when life is unfair because there's no one who goes through life that doesn't have a situation where they've been the one hard done by um, or got the short end of the stick. And I think that's something that's really helped me to progress through life, to be happy in life, to not get caught up on things in life, um, is that, yeah, you can't be a victim and feel empowered at the same time. Yeah. Wow, I've never actually heard that before. That's a really good one. 
Yeah. Yeah, Definitely stuck with me. Just drop the mic there. (laughs) (laughs) And some advice for our listeners going forward. Um, Advice from me, I guess, something that's um, particular to my experience is to don't be afraid to find um, your part in the industry that's right for you. Um, Don't be afraid if you don't fit into a certain box um, or if your skill set isn't the same as your boss's. Um, or if your personality is different, um, from other people within the industry you're working in, I think, yeah, don't be, be afraid and also have the courage, um, to find your place in the industry that's right for you, even if you can't see it yet, even if there are people that aren't doing that, those jobs yet. There are currently over 1,100 compelling true stories on centralstation.net.au, which will open your eyes to what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. There are yarns from station managers, ringers, cooks, govies, pilots, vets and more, told with humour, self-deprecation and pride in a job well done. There are tales of working in stock camps, mustering cattle and how education and socialisation works in some of the most remote parts of Australia. There's stories about the wonder of living in an amazing landscape, but also the perils that come with flood, fire and drought. And there's stories about the inherent danger of living in isolation, including times when the flying doctor has come to the rescue. These stories paint a vivid picture of outback life, the good, the bad and the dusty.